the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcedon Report, number 18, March 1st, 1967. Few things are more readily and easily subverted than words. The subversion of words is accordingly a major factor in all subversive activity. The word, quote, republic, unquote, has an important meaning for conservative Americans, and as a hope for many peoples of the world. The communists adopted it for their order, USSR, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. The word love has been reinterpreted to mean revolutionary action and the subsidizing of all kinds of evil. And Christians are told they are not showing biblical love if they fail to support Marxist social action. But perhaps the most subverted word of all is God. One of the first things we need to recognize when we talk about God is that virtually all religions are atheistic. As Christians, for us religion means God. But this is true of very little else than Christianity, if of any other religion. Humanism is the religion of humanity, the worship of man. Animism, the worship of primitive peoples, has no God. Shintoism has a multitude of kamis, divine ancestors, but no God. Buddhism is an atheistic religion, for it, nothingness is ultimate. Hinduism also sees nothingness as ultimate, and the goal of reincarnation is to escape karma into eternal nothingness. Confucianism, a philosophy which became a religion, has no God. Taoism holds to an ultimate relativism. Nothing is absolutely right or wrong since all things are relative. Greek religion and Roman religion had no God. Their many, quote, gods, unquote, were like men, creatures born of chaos and destined to pass away. Greek philosophy talked of a first cause or God, but this was not a person but an original source, whether atoms or something else, none could say. The religion of the Germanic peoples, again, was godless. The, quote, gods, unquote, they talked about were creatures out of chaos who were simply ahead of man in their development. Apart from biblical religion, the religion whose faith includes a god is Mohammedanism. But its concept, barred from the Bible, quickly was dissolved into an idea of fate on the one hand and mystical pantheism on the other. Mormonism does not hold to the God of Scripture. Instead, it holds to many gods who are all men who have graduated in rank. 
and Mormonism is a form of ancestor worship under its superficially biblical language. Judaism grew out of the rejection of Jesus Christ and steadily became humanism, and the Talmud is essentially the exposition of humanism under the facade of Scripture. There is thus actually no true theism or worship of the absolute God apart from Orthodox Christianity. The word God, however, is widely used in order to nullify the gap between biblical and non-biblical religions, between Christianity and humanism. The churches today are quite vocal about the believer's duty to God, but they clearly take the name of God in vain because it is humanism and revolution which they proclaim, not the gospel. The death of God's school of thought is perhaps the most honest group on the religious scene today. They honestly declare that they have a double purpose. First, they want to destroy all faith in God of the Bible, the triune God, and to destroy with this faith the whole structure of moral law which comes from God. If there is no God, then there is no law, and anything goes. Man is his own God and his own law. Therefore, the death of God thinkers want to, quote, liberate, unquote, man from God and morality by declaring that God is dead and man is, quote, free, unquote. Second, by their own statements, they look forward to a, quote, rebirth, unquote, of, quote, God, unquote, this time as a united world order. The one world order of brotherhood and socialism is this new God waiting to be born and the death of God thinkers want to stimulate this birth by furthering revolutionary thought and action. By and large, the established religious leaders and churches are equally radical but less honest. They try to delude people into believing that it is still Christianity they preach by using all the old language with a new revolutionary meaning. One of the major forms of this deception is neo-orthodoxy, an example, a seeming orthodoxy. But the churches of today are promoting revolution and calling it Christianity. It is the purpose of the church of today to murder God and the church in the name of fulfilling their Christian calling. The support given to revolutionary activity is heavily borne by the churches. Saul Alinsky is one among many who depends on the churches for his support. The graduates of seminaries become revolutionists both in and out of the churches. At the University of California at Berkeley, Mario Savio originally was destined for the Jesuit order. Stuart Albert planned to be a rabbi. Steve Hamilton went from Wheaton College to Bishop Pike to civil rights protests and UC activities. He represented the University Church Council in 1964 in the free speech movement. Patrick Taggart led in Youth for Christ activities and was a counselor in Billy Graham's last Los Angeles Crusade. With Lois Mergenstrom, who became the nude, quote, living altar, unquote, in a Satanist wedding in San Francisco, Tuesday, January 31, 1967, Taggart is a leader in the Satan worship cult there and in the propagation of, quote, liberal, unquote, ideas. Many groups use the name of God, but for all except those who hold to Orthodox Christianity, God is the enemy who must be destroyed. These revolutionists hate God because God means that there is an ultimate judge over all men, 
and an ultimate right and wrong in the universe and inescapable truth apart from which all else is a lie. These revolutionists are out to destroy not only God but all language, since language still reflects the idea of a right and wrong. Frederick Nietzsche called for a, quote, new language, unquote, to express this new faith, a mode of communication in which, quote, the falseness of an opinion is not for us any objection to it, unquote. Man must live, quote, beyond good and evil, unquote, beyond all law, and deny that there are any, quote, thou shalt nots, unquote. Quote, love, unquote, as self-indulgence, is his only law. In this new order, Nietzsche said, it is necessary, quote, to recognize untruth as a condition of life, unquote. Having as much, quote, right, unquote, as the truth, and perhaps more necessary. This philosophy undergirds both church and state today. Churchmen and politicians lie to us, quote, for our good, unquote. And with no sense of wrongdoing, apparent, the, quote, God, unquote, of these men is the state. George William Frederick Hegel, 1770 to 1831, the spiritual father of Marx, Kierkegaard, Dewey, Sartre, and others, and the grandfather of Marxism, pragmatism, Fabianism, existentialism, and much else, said, quote, The state in and by itself is the ethical whole, the actualization of freedom, unquote. This means that the state is God and is the source of all law and morality. Hegel said, quote, The march of God in the world, that is what the state is, unquote. The state is thus God walking on earth, and men must bow down to statism or be punished as evildoers, because the state is the fulfillment of man and of man's law. This is the issue, then, the state versus God, Christ versus Caesar. Every man who supports a church which is not proclaiming Orthodox Christianity is supporting Antichrist and is in the camp of statism. These churches talk about God, but they mean the state. They speak of Christ as Savior, but by salvation they mean socialism. Language has been subverted, and first of all, the Word of God. We cannot counteract the subversion of our day without beginning at its root cause. We need to be, quote, honest to God, unquote. And as Dr. J.I. Packer, an Anglican scholar, remarked in criticizing the book Honest to God by John A.T. Robinson, Bishop of Woolwich, quote, The man who is honest to God is the man who listens to God's word and lets it have its way with him, not evading its substance nor deflecting its application one iota, unquote. The Bishop of Woolwich has another God and another Savior than the Bible offers. As against these false definitions of God, the Bible reveals the true God to us. Long ago, the larger catechism summarized the biblical statements thus, What is God? God is a spirit, in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. 
How many persons are there in the Godhead? There be three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. Chalcedon Report number 19, April 1, 1967 Since we are in the midst of inflation, it is important for us to realize what inflation does. One of the central results of inflation is decapitalization. Decapitalization means the progressive destruction of capital so that a society has progressively less productive ability. Capitalization is the accumulation of wealth through work and thrift, and decapitalization is the dissipation of accumulated wealth. A free economy, capitalism, is an impossibility without capitalization. Some of the potentially wealthiest agricultural countries are importers of agricultural produce, such as Venezuela and Chile. The fishing grounds off the Pacific coast of South America are some of the richest known to the world, rich enough to feed the countries of that area. Chilean fishermen cannot market fish properly and dump marvelous catches of fish into the sea because they have neither storage nor transport facilities to take their fish to the markets. Thus, there is neither a lack of labor nor a lack of markets for the fish, but the necessary capitalization to provide the facilities for bringing labor, produce, and market together is lacking. Much of the world is in the same predicament. It has the labor, the natural resources, and the hungry markets for its produce, but it lacks the necessary capital to make the flow of goods possible. Socialism tries to solve this problem, but only aggravates it, because it furthers the poverty of all concerned. Socialism and inflation both accomplish the same purpose. They decapitalize an economy. Capitalization is the product of work and thrift, the accumulation of wealth and the wise use of accumulated wealth. This accumulated wealth is invested in effect in progress because it is made available for the development of natural resources and the marketing of goods and produce. The thrift, which leads to the savings or accumulation of wealth, to capitalization, is a product of character. Capitalization is a product in every era of the Puritan disposition, of the willingness to forego present pleasures to accumulate some wealth for future purposes. Without character, there is no capitalization, but rather decapitalization the steady depletion of wealth. As a result, capitalism is supremely a product of Christianity, and in particular, of Puritanism, which, more than any other faith, has furthered capitalization. This means that before decapitalization, either in the form of socialism or inflation, can occur, there must be a breakdown of faith and character. Before the United States began its course of socialism and inflation, it had abandoned its historic Christian position. The people had come to see more advantage in wasting capital than in accumulating it, in enjoying superficial pleasures than living in terms of the lasting pleasures of the family, faith, and character. Inflation succeeds when people have larceny in their hearts, and the same is true of socialism. Socialism is organized larceny. Like inflation, it takes from the haves to give to the have-nots. By destroying capital, it destroys progress and pushes society into disaster. As the products of capitalization begin to wear out, 
New capital is lacking to replace them, and the state has no capital of its own. It only impoverishes the people further and therefore itself by trying to create capital by taxation. Every socialist state decapitalizes itself progressively. When inflation and socialism get underway, having begun in the decline of faith and character, they see as their common enemy precisely those people who still have faith and character. In 1937, Roger Babson in If Inflation Comes wrote, quote, Only righteousness exalteth the nation today, as it did 3,000 years ago. Hence, speaking strictly as a statistician, I say that the safest hedge against inflation is the development of character, unquote. Page 178. We can add that the greatest enemy of inflation is faith and character. Inflation and socialism attack as the enemy biblical Christianity because it is their common purpose to destroy the roots of capitalization. By taxation and inflation, thrift is made both difficult and economically unsound since money ceases to be gold and silver and becomes counterfeit, unredeemable paper. People are barred from possessing gold and silver in some countries. Inheritance taxes work to destroy capital, as do income taxes. Education, television, the press, and all other media foster relativism and humanism. They promote the decapitalization of character. We have seen the progressive decline of public and private morality. Missionaries on furlough who return home every seventh year have commented on the sharp erosion they witness with each return. Things which were once intolerable and forbidden are now openly promoted and sponsored. We who stand for biblical Christianity thus face a steadily more hostile world. We are everything which socialism and inflation hate most. How are we to defend ourselves? And how can we have a return to capitalism? Capitalism can only revive if capitalization revives, and capitalization depends, in its best and clearest form, on that character produced by biblical Christianity, by the regeneration of man through Jesus Christ. This means that we must begin afresh to establish truly Christian churches, to establish Christian schools and colleges, to promote Christian learning as the foundation of Christian character. Capitalization does not depend on winning elections, important as elections are. No election has yet really reversed decapitalization. The demand is for increasing decapitalization in the form of more welfare, more Social Security, more Medicare, and the like. For the past generation, no office holder has done more than to slow down this process very slightly. An election does not produce character, which is the foundation of capitalization. Socialism and inflation work to create a depletion of spiritual resources as a necessary step towards their success. No counter-movement can succeed if the depleted spiritual resources are not replenished. When modern capitalism began, its critics loved to point out every capitalist was a Bible-toting, Bible-quoting man. He knew the good book from end to end far better than most clergymen do today. The Fabian socialist R.H. Tawney, in Religion and the Rise of Capitalism, saw modern capitalism as substantially a product of Calvin and Puritanism. Calvinism, he said, produced, quote, 
a race of iron, unquote, because of its, quote, insistence on personal responsibility, discipline, and asceticism, in example, self-denial. And the call to fashion for the Christian character and objective embodiment in social institutions, unquote. In England, as capitalism began to develop as the new power in the state, Tawney said, quote, the business classes were conscious of themselves as something like a separate order with an outlook on religion and politics peculiarly their own, distinguished not merely by birth and breeding, but by their social habits, their business discipline, the whole bracing atmosphere of their moral life, from a court which they believed to be godless and an aristocracy which they knew to be spendthrift, unquote. Instead of holding that, quote, business is business, unquote, these men held instead that business is a calling under God to be discharged in terms of his word and law. It was held that it was the first duty of man to know and believe in God. A Scottish divine of 1709 wrote of Glasgow, quote, I am sure the Lord is remarkably frowning upon our trade since it was put in the room of religion, unquote. Priority in every man's life belongs to God alone. The second duty of man is to fulfill God's calling in his chosen vocation. A Puritan divine wrote, quote, God doth call every man and woman to serve him in some peculiar employment in this world, both for their own and the common good. The great governor of the world both appointed to every man his proper post and province, and let him be never so active out of his sphere. He will be at a great loss if he does not keep his own vineyard and mind his own business. Unquote. It is a liberal and romantic myth that America and the frontier was colonized by people who had nothing. Men came here with capital or work to accumulate it, but their basic capital was spiritual. It was their Christian faith, and this led to economic capitalization. Far more actual capital migrated to Latin America than to North America, but it was an accumulated aristocratic wealth which either barely sustained itself on landed estates or else rapidly decapitalized because it had little spiritual capital. This letter is written by one who believes intensely in Orthodox Christianity and in our historic Christian American liberties and heritage. It is my purpose to promote the basic capitalization of society out of which all else flows spiritual capital. Without the spiritual capital of a God-centered and biblical faith, we are spiritually and materially bankrupt. We will only succumb to the inflated and false values which govern men today and which are leading them to destruction. Where do you stand? Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had by his pain, the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me.
Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.